right. Good morning, everyone. I'm Ricky Tell, one of the elders here at Salt Church. This summer, we're going through a series of minor prophets. We began in Jonah. Next week, we begin another series in Habakkuk. And in between, we also are going through some of the Psalms. Last week, uh, Jordan spoke on Psalm 13. Today, we'll go through Psalm 23. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles there, we will get started in just a second. Uh, some of you know I'm a professor at the University of Florida, so in my classes, I like a little interactivity. So we're going to have a little interactivity right now to get started. So I have a question for you. What animal is mentioned more times than any other in the Bible? Actually, it's sheep. Sheep, sheep. So sheep. Sheep are mentioned almost 600 times in the Bible, as far back as Genesis chapter 4, all the way through Revelation chapter 18. Sheep are common in the countryside in biblical times, and we'll be seeing a lot of photos today throughout. And everyone then knew that sheep needed someone to take care of them, a shepherd. Why? Because sheep are among the least able animals to care for themselves for these reasons, okay? First of all, sheep are not that smart, okay? For example, they can wander into running creeks for a drink of water, then their wool grows heavy and they can drown. And they need someone who will care for them. They're also directionless. They need someone to lead them. And sheep are defenseless. If you haven't noticed, they don't have fangs or claws. They're not all that strong. They're pretty helpless. They need someone to protect them. And whether we like it or not, we share these characteristics, which is the perfect reason why we're compared to sheep. That's us, not so smart, directionless, defenseless sheep. And that's why we need a shepherd. Today, we're going to be learning a little bit about shepherding from one of the most famous shepherds in the Bible, David. Having been a, a shepherd, David knew that he, a warrior and a king, shared the same qualities as sheep. Again, not so smart, directionless, defenseless, just like we do. So he searched for an illustration to describe his and our shortcomings and remembered his days as a shepherd. The way that he, as a shepherd, cared for his sheep reminded him of the way God cares for us. Psalm wrote, Psalm, David wrote Psalm 23 to remind us of who God is and who we are in comparison to God to build our trust in our shepherd. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version today, and we'll be going verse by verse and phrase by phrase, beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. David begins by saying, to know God, know him as Yahweh. Yahweh is my shepherd, is what he wrote. When you see L-O-R-D in all caps, it's God's name. It's not a title, Yahweh. It's the personal name of God indicating the personal relationship he has with us. God first revealed his name to Moses at the burning book in Exodus chapter 3. It is God's holy name revealing an intimate relationship. So the first thing we learn here in this very first verse is that the creator of innumerable galaxies and the designer of subatomic particles, David knows by name, Yahweh, the personal name of God, our relational God. 
And even though you'll hear a lot about sheep today, the emphasis, the focus of this song is about God, our shepherd, and David knows him by name. Next, Yahweh is my shepherd. When David says my, he is saying he's put away his self-reliance and instead saying that he is owned by God. And two aspects of God's ownership are exhibited here. First, it is God who brought David and us into being, and no one is better able to understand and care for us. He chose to create David as the object of his affection. David's creation and ours is not a random event. No, in Psalm 139, David wrote that God knit him together. He created him. Yahweh owns me because I am his creation. And the second aspect of ownership is I truly belong to him because he has bought me. For regular sheep, the shepherd pays hard cash. That was brought out by the blood, sweat, and tears of his own hand. Well, in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So for the good shepherd, the incredible price that he paid for his sheep is his own shed blood and his laid down life. We have been bought with a price. We are not our own. And he is well within his rights to lay claim upon our lives. And what is Yahweh to me? my shepherd. Now, as I mentioned, sheep do not just take care of themselves. They require probably more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care, which we'll see in the rest of this Psalm today. It's no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and humans is similar in many ways. Our fears and timidity, our stubbornness, Yet despite these adverse characteristics, Christ chooses us, buys us, calls us by name, makes us his own, and delights in caring for us. The rest of the psalm recounts the manner in which the shepherd spares no pains for the welfare of his sheep. Next he says, I shall not want. In some of your versions, it may say, I shall not be in need or I lack nothing. We could end the psalm right now with that statement. My shepherd and nothing else. He's all I need. I shall not want. And David's not referring to material needs. Let's face it. With all the wealth that we have in our society today, you'd think we'd be content, right? But we're insecure and unsure of ourselves, searching for security beyond ourselves. We're restless, unsettled, and wanting more. What does that sound like? Sheep. In our world, contentment is in short supply. We feel like we need just one more thing. What is separating you from joy? I'll be happy when fill in the blank. When I'm married, when I'm wealthy, when I'm promoted, when I get my degree. If it never happens, could you be content? Contentment should be the mark of the person who has put their affairs in the hands of God. David says that in his shepherd, he lacks nothing. David is content. I shall not want. If we truly live with the mindset, Jesus and nothing else, how would our lives look? In the rest of this psalm, David paints word picture after word picture, after word picture 
of contentment. Verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters or still waters. You know what? People have too much work to do and too little sleep, right? Yeah. We doze off at work, nap in classes, like I know that's never happened with any of you, fall asleep at the wheel. In 1910, Americans slept on average nine hours a night. By 2021, guess how many hours of sleep we sleep on average a night? Six to seven. Six to seven hours a night. And guess what? We're proud of it. We boast about being caffeinated or full of energy drinks. Sleep less, run more. Resulting in our bodies are tired. Our minds are tired. Our souls are tired. We've bought into the myth that we don't need rest. Another creature that has trouble resting is, guess what? Sheep, very good. That's going to be a recurring answer, okay? <laughs> Sheep may be so rattled and skittish that the shepherd must come and apply gentle but firm pressure to make them lie down. Without a shepherd, they can't rest. And his sheep, and as his sheep, we may be made to lie down as well. Sometimes it's when we're sick in bed on our backs, and then we look up and find that we're in the pasture that which we need to be in to find rest. Or maybe our shepherd uses setbacks to get us to lie down. Or it could be just a time of solitude. It could be that the Lord is gently but firmly making you lie down. But sheep really can't be made to lie down unless three requirements are first met, which only can be met in the shepherd. Freedom from fear, freedom from the torment of pests, and freedom from hunger for food. Only the shepherd can provide relief from these fears, and I'll describe them each here so that you can listen in later verses how the shepherd relieves these fears. First, freedom from fear. For sheep, it was usually the fear of predators. Hearing the growl of bears or the howl of wolves, they'd panic. But there was no substitute for the keen awareness that the shepherd was nearby. He dispels the fear, the panic, the terror of the unknown. For us, we live in a life where there is danger, disaster, distress. It's usually the unknown that produces the greatest panic, the grip of fear about the complexities of life. But Christ, the good shepherd, is there. In his presence, it, it throws a different light on the situation. I can feel myself delivered from fear. Rest returns and I can relax. Next, freedom from pests. Sheep can be driven to distraction by nasal flies, ticks, and other insects, making it impossible for them to rest. A good shepherd will apply insect repellent. This entails extra care, labor, and intense expense. The shepherd has to watch every moment. Uppermost for the shepherd is to keep his flock quiet, contented, and at rest. In the Christian life, there's also pests, annoyances, small irritations, petty frustrations, disagreeable experiences. It's like we're always getting bugged. In the presence of Christ, I can bring whatever is bugging me and have him take over. And he does. Applying healing to my pests and to my problems. And we'll read more about the pest situation in verse 5. And then finally, freedom from hunger. In the dry, semi-arid areas in the Middle East, it's not common 
to find green pastures. So how did the green pastures get there? It's the work of the shepherd. The shepherd would clear the sun-baked land, tear out stumps, manage the soil carefully, seed it, irrigate it. The shepherd prepares the green pastures to provide nourishment, freeing the sheep from their fear from hunger. Our shepherd clears away the rocks of sin in our life, allowing him to prepare the ground. He tears out the roots of bitterness, breaks up the proud human heart that is set like sun-dried clay. He sows seeds of his word, which will produce rich crops of, of contentment and peace. He waters with his Holy Spirit. He cares and cultivates this life. With the word picture of green pastures, David's saying, my shepherd makes me lie down in his finished work. And God invites us to rest there as well. This is not a pasture that we have made. His pasture is his gift to us. In this verse, my shepherd not only makes me lie down by green pastures, he also leads me beside quiet waters, waters that he has stilled. So picture this, the sheep are weary and worn. They need a long, refreshing drink, but there's only a rapid stream nearby. Sheep are instinctively afraid of running water. If they get into the running water, like I said before, they can get their wool weighed down and they can drown. But it's hot, really hot. So all the thirsty sheep can do is stand and stare at the fast-flowing stream. But then the shepherd steps into the stream. With his staff, he pries loose a few large stones that now dams up a place, causing the rushing water to slow its current. The now quiet waters immediately attract the sheep and in this moment, the shepherd has provided refreshment for the flock with water that he has stilled. He steps in to provide quiet, refreshing waters. David is clear that the shepherd, the good shepherd alone knows where the still quiet water is that can satisfy his sheep. Just as our physical body needs water, so scripture says our spiritual thirst can only be satisfied by drawing on Jesus, the living water. Turn to Christ, the living water, and what will happen? He'll restore my soul, as we see in verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Philip Keller is a shepherd. He wrote a book titled, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. If you want to see an actual shepherd's perspective on the word pictures that David paints in this song, I encourage you to read this book. One thing I learned from Keller's book, which painted a tremendously new and vivid word picture for me as it relates to he restores my soul, or in some versions it says he refreshes my soul, is cast sheep, C-A-S-T, cast sheep, or sometimes called cast down sheep. Here are a few pictures. A cast sheep is an old English sheep shepherd's term for a sheep that is turned over on its back and can't get up again by itself. I know it looks kind of funny, but it's a very, very serious situation. It can lead to the sheep's death. The sheep flails around with its feet in the air, struggling, but it just lies there. If the owner doesn't find the sheep within a reasonably short period of time, the sheep will die from the heat or malnourishment 
or from a predator seeing an easy kill vulnerable to attack. And when we hear this, we may think that it's the weak sheep that can become cast, right? Well, equally, it's the largest and the sometimes healthiest sheep. Because here's what happens. A heavy or long fleeced sheep will lie down comfortably in a little depression in the ground. It may roll on its back and its feet may move a little bit just to stretch or relax. The center of gravity for this sheep shifts and before you know it, its feet can no longer touch the ground. What happens? It starts to panic. It makes it worse. Pawing at the air. Now it's rolled over. It's impossible for the sheep to regain its feet. Struggling, gases begin to build up in the sheep's stomach. The gases expand, cutting off the blood flow to its legs. The legs get weaker. It can't move. It will die. But notice where this started, where the sheep got comfortable. Comfortability is that self-reliance. With all the comforts that I have amassed, I can say, I'm happy with where I'm at. I got my finances. I have all my toys. I got this. I'm under control. I've made it on my own. I am comfortable. Contentedness, in contrast, is what the apostle Paul writes about in Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, and you want to ask the question, hey, Paul, what's the secret? I can do everything through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. Christ, relying on Christ is the secret of being content. But it's when we become comfortable, we get into the same situation as cast sheep. We get stuck in our comfortable rut, then our life gets unbalanced, sin creeps in, and before you know it, we can't touch the ground. We're helpless, waiting for predators to finish us. That's why the shepherd is ever watching. If one sheep is missing, he will agonizingly search, longing to find the missing one, to keep it from dying, and his delight is when it's back on its feet, restored. After the cast sheep is found, the shepherd has to help the sheep over tenderly. If the sheep has been down for too long, its legs will need to be rubbed to restore circulation, and the sheep likely will stumble. But the shepherd will voice words of encouragement to help the sheep along. Little by little, the sheep will regain its equilibrium and walk steadier. But in extreme situations... The sheep completely loses the function of its legs temporarily and must be carried by the shepherd. And the word picture of the cast sheep here also may impact how we understand Jesus' parable of the lost sheep in Luke chapter 15. Understand, this is no little Bo Peep nursery rhyme where if you leave the sheep alone, it'll come home wagging its tail. No, this is life and death. The Greek word for lost here that Jesus uses in this parable is the same root word that we see in other places in the New Testament for perish. Perish. The same word used by the disciples in the boat when they yell to Jesus, save us, we're perishing. In the parable, there's urgency. The sheep is going to die. 
So the shepherd retraces his steps to go to places the flock had been, just like we do retracing our, our steps when we've lost something. We don't go to new places, we go to old places. And that's what I think the shepherd did. He had a search pattern to hunt for the sheep. His search grid narrowed it down to where the sheep had been before. And then lay on top of that what the, sh the shepherd knew about his sheep, about where the lost sheep may have been comfortable and then get cast. And so why do I say that it's a cast sheep? Because the shepherd carries the sheep on his shoulders. Because the cast sheep could not walk under its own strength. Jesus says the shepherd joyfully carried the sheep that couldn't walk on its own. You got to keep this in mind. Sheep weigh between 120 to 220 pounds. How do you get a sheep of, say, 200 pounds, which is about what I weigh, so kind of give you a word picture there, okay? 200 pounds on your shoulder if the sheep can't stand. Do you say, hey, sheep, get up, get on your own, do it yourself so I can pick you up? No, you get down, if you're the shepherd, to where the sheep is, in the dirt, in the muck, in the waste that the sheep has been in since getting comfortable and then getting stuck. And the shepherd lifts the sheep that can't do it on its own, the one that got comfortable and is now cast. And Jesus says it's done joyfully. Jesus then says, the shepherd then calls everyone around and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep, my perishing sheep. And don't lose this. The shepherd rejoices too. Our God rejoices when perishing sheep are found and restored. And that's why I think David wrote this. David knew what it was like to be cast down and to know the frustration of falling under temptation. David was acquainted with the bitterness of feeling hopeless and having no strength in himself. When he found himself in a cast situation, it was often a result of his comfortability. For example, 1 Samuel chapter 11 starts out, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab. He didn't go off to war, he sent his general. In other words, King David got comfy. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. He found a little soft ground at the palace, got comfortable. Hey, I'll stick around here this summer and play. I'll send someone else. And as we know, this led to cascade of sin after sin after sin, with the first one being, I want her, Bathsheba. No longer was David content with his shepherd, I shall not want. David's self-reliance continued as he tried in his own power to cover everything up, flailing around, becoming more and more cast until God sent the prophet Nathan to confront David and to restore him. David pens a heart-rendering song, Psalm 20, 51, where he says to God, against you, you only have I sinned. Confession, a broken and contrite heart and his request Create in me a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Restoration. Many have the mistaken idea that when a child of God falls or is helpless, God becomes disgusted or fed up and furious with him. Not so. A great revelation of God's loving heart is that our good shepherd has compassion 
eager to search and to save and to restore cast sheep. Is it any wonder that David says he restores my soul? God did for David and God still does for us. He also guides me in paths of righteousness. Again, no other class of livestock requires more careful handling, more detailed direction than do sheep. Sheep will overgraze land. The sheep like being where they are. They like routine, like being comfortable. But if they stay, they're ruined. They need to be moved around from pasture to pasture with a planned rotation from one grazing ground to another. And this may be what David meant when he spoke of being led in paths of righteousness. Humans like sheep will tread the same paths until the paths turn into ruts. But our shepherd has new and right paths designed for us to walk in. But they may make us uncomfortable. But remember, contentedness, not comfortability. Think of the original disciples. Many of them were accustomed to fishing. But Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He invited them into a new and right path for their lives, but the uncomfortability of a new path within them was real. The paths the Lord has for us are good and right. These paths may be uncomfortable or maybe even intimidating at first, but believers who obey and follow our shepherd discover how good these new paths are. It may mean starting a new ministry or financially supporting a missionary or just talking to someone about Jesus. When called onto a new and right path, we can be hesitant and uncomfortable. But our Lord will call us beyond our comforts for our great good, for our contentedness in him. Why? For his namesake. Remember who wrote this? David. Nowhere in this psalm does David, a warrior, king, God, man after God's own heart, give himself credit. Is what we do God-centered or self-centered? It's a matter of directing praise to the one who's worthy of it, God, for his name's sake. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now David talks about the terrain. The shepherd would know about this. The journey to the high country had to take place through the valley where there were dangers of rock slides and enemies. To get to the mountaintop experiences, we have to go through the valleys. Note that David doesn't say that he stopped there or that he died there or that he didn't say that he goes around the valley. No, he says that he walks through the valley. In this, David grants us two reminders that can help us as sheep surrender our fear. First is we all have to face dark valleys. David experienced many dark valleys in his walk with God. King Saul's attempts on his life, the betrayal of his own son, the breakup of his family, the rejection of his nation. For us, there are going to be valleys that we will walk through. Disappointments, frustrations, discouragements, dark days. But they can be the road to the higher ground in our walk with God. And more importantly, second, is that we don't have to face the dark valleys alone. All the while that David was walking through the dark valleys, he knew Yahweh, his shepherd, led and guided his life. What about us? 
typically when everything is going good in our lives, when we get very comfortable, we may feel like we don't need God. We've got this. We've got it all under control in our own self-reliance. But as Christians, sooner or later, we discover that it is in the valleys of our lives that we experience the greatest refreshment from God. It's not until we have walked with him through deep troubles that we discover that he can lead us to find our refreshment, our restoration in him in the middle of difficulties. It's also why God uses other members of the flock. Only those who have gone through similar dark valley situations can console or encourage others. And that can only happen after they have gone through a dark valley with their shepherd. And also keep in mind that the dark valley is as much God's right path for us as the green pastures or the areas beside the quiet waters. The Christian life is not all tranquil, tranquility or a mountaintop experience. God gives us valleys to guide us and sustain us in our dark hours. Note that up to this point, the reader has been the audience of this psalm and God has been the topic. The pronouns here shift from third person, he, to second person, you. God becomes very personal to David. Rather than sing about God, David began to sing to God. David had said, he makes me lie down, he leads me, he restores me. But now when walking through the valley, he's saying, you are with me. I think it's in these trials and tribulations in our life that the Lord becomes personal to us too. It is in our difficult moments that we begin to feel and know him intimately and personally. When evil and danger were about him, David turned to the shepherd. Rather than focus on fear, he focused on the solution. You are with me. Again, contentment in him. Then David talks about the tools of the trade for the shepherd. The sheep look to his rod for protection and the staff for help. In the Middle East, the shepherds carry only a rod and a staff. It's kind of their universal equipment. The rod was a weapon of defense for him and his sheep. It was an extension of the shepherd's arm, a tool of strength, of power, and authority. The rod was what he relied on to safeguard himself and his flock from predators. It was also used to discipline and correct wayward sheep that insisted on wandering away. And it was used to count the sheep as they passed under the rod. In essence, they passed under the care of the shepherd. The rod of God is emblematic of the word of God. It was the rod, the God, the rod of God's word that Christ used in his encounter with Satan in the wilderness. It is that same word of God that we can count on again and again to counter the enemy's attack. In every situation, in every circumstance, we can be content in the knowledge that God's word can meet and master difficulties if we rely on it. Whereas the rod conveys the concept of power, of discipline, of defense, the staff speaks of all things that are long-suffering and kind. The staff was a long, sturdy pole, sometimes with a crook or a hook at the end. It was helpful in snagging sheep that had strayed. And it was used for guiding sheep onto new paths or along dangerous routes. The shepherd put a little pressure on the side of the sheep with his staff, providing a reassuring touch of its proper path. The staff is symbolic of the spirit of God, the gentle correction of the spirit. The Holy Spirit guides us and leads us into all truth, gently, tenderly, persistently saying to us, this is the way, 
walk in it. The good shepherd protects and rescues us as well. In verse 5, David writes, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In the preceding verses, we have been walking. But now the picture is that of feasting. Even in the presence of enemies, the shepherd has prepared a place, a safe place of nourishment. And you can picture this one of two ways. And both word pictures equally show that the shepherd's presence is what matters when enemies are present. First, as a physical table and a feast where there is preparation to have everything just right. Or following the valley metaphor in the previous verse, table could be the high mountain country, also known as tablelands by shepherds. High plateaus are referred to as mesas, the Spanish word for tables. So it may be that what David referred to as a table was actually the hard-to-reach high summer range. Ancient shepherds would go out early in the season, make a survey trip of the tablelands to plan for their flocks where they would go, plant grass, remove weeds, plan his grazing program, getting everything ready for the flock, preparing the table beforehand. He would also scout out where the dangers were likely to come from, where the predators might be. It was only his alertness in the full view of his flock that prevented his flock from being attacked. Only his preparation saved his sheep from, the, from attack, from panic, potentially slaughter. Now, all of this was commonly known to David, a shepherd, but all this preparation went unknown to the flock. Unaware of the shepherd's preparations, the sheep could merely trust the goodness of the shepherd to provide for their future. And we're no different. We don't see or maybe even look for the preparation God has provided for our future. But our shepherd has been all over the territory before us and prepared the table or table lands for us in plain view of enemies who would destroy us if they could. But he's there and that makes all the difference. Next, you anoint my head with oil. In biblical times, anointing someone's head with oil was a sign of honor and respect. And this part of the verse definitely paints this picture, that our shepherd's delight is for our good. But this word picture also has connotations in the sheep world as well. Remember one of the fears of the sheep, fear of pests? Well, in the Middle East, hordes of flies emerge in the, the warm summer months. Sheep are especially troubled by the nose fly or nasal fly. The flies buzz around their heads, <coughs> it's going to sound a little awful here, depositing eggs in the sheep's nose. If the fly, uh, yeah, go ahead. If the, the flies are successful, the eggs will hatch and in a few days will form a worm-like larvae that will work its way up the, fly, the, the nasal passages in the sheep's head. They barrel into the flesh. Yuck, I know, Ricky, stop. Okay, I got, I got it. Now, you can feel just by this description intense irritation accompanied by severe inflammation. Can you imagine? Yes, I know everyone's nose is itching. Go ahead and scratch it right now. It's fine. But for the sheep, they can't scratch. It's agonizing. They try to find relief by deliberately beating their heads against rocks and trees, posts and bushes, rubbing and rubbing, creating sores, and in some instances, death. Just trying to be free of the pests. 
So when the nose flies start buzzing around the flock, the sheep know. They know what's coming. Sheep become frantic with fear, attempting to escape these tiny tormentors. But the shepherd is always watching. And at the very first sign of a problem, he applies an antidote to the sheep. A homemade remedy of linseed oil, sulfur, and tar smeared over the sheep's nose and head protects against these flies. Immediate transformation. The oil has been applied to the sheep's head and there's an immediate change in behavior. Restlessness is gone. There's peaceful contentment. Just like us, we get irritated. Sometimes small, petty annoyances, tiny torments can drive us up the wall. And let's face it, most of our problems are not lion-sized. They're swarms of frustrations, just like the nose flies. And my shepherd applies continuous and renewed oil to prevent the flies in my life. Just like the remedy of oil, tar, and sulfur had to be applied multiple times in the summer to the sheep then, we need a daily dose of God's word in our minds and an anointing of God's spirit upon our heads. The word and the spirit make it possible for us to react to aggravations and annoyances with quietness and calmness. And as a result of the shepherd's care, the table's preparation, the oil's anointing, my cup runs over abundantly. Finally, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's goodness and mercy will pursue David all the days of his life. The word follow here is actually a military word, reflecting being chased by a military power, something David knew all about. Just as King Saul had chased him in the wilderness, pursuing him, David believed God's goodness and mercy would also chase him. To me, the visuals here are sheepdogs, okay? Have you ever seen sheepdogs herding sheep? If not, Google sheepdog contest. And what you'll see are sheepdogs pursuing sheep, keeping them where? In line with the shepherd who was leading the flock. So if the shepherd leads the flock, Goodness and mercy are the two sheepdogs that guard the rear. Goodness supplies our spiritual and physical needs, and mercy blots out our sins. It's not goodness alone, we're sinners in need of mercy. And it's not mercy alone, we're fragile, and we need goodness. The shepherd always goes before his sheep, and goodness and mercy, like sheepdogs, come after, pursuing, guarding for how long? <laughs> All the days of our lives. The psalm opens with a joyous statement. It ends with an equally positive affirmation, a promise reminding us of the hope of heaven. You're being prepared for Yahweh's house. The sheep are so at home with the shepherd that there is not a shred of desire to change. The sheep have come home to be in his presence it is the sheep owner's presence that guarantees that there will be no lack of any sort. There'll be abundant pastures. There'll be still clean waters. There'll be new paths into fresh fields. There will be safe summers on the high tablelands. There will be freedom from fear. There will be contentment. David says, I'm home. I'm home with Yahweh. For how long? 
Just one word. Forever. Content in him forever. What a beautiful song and imagery of contentment. The green pastures, the still quiet waters, the valleys, the tableland. Our shepherd frees us from fears, annoyances, and spiritual hunger. He walks with us, protects us, carries us. But are we living like it's Jesus and nothing else? Are we content? Or have we gotten comfortable, like David at times, becoming a cast sheep, flailing from sin to sin, trying to right it ourselves, and failing each time? If that's where you are right now, know this. God is pursuing you. God wants to restore you, to refresh your soul, so that just like David, you can say, I shall not want. Why? Only because Yahweh is my shepherd. And my shepherd delights in my contentment in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for inspiring David to write these words, this song, to share with us just a small glimpse of how you shepherd us in what we see and largely with what we don't see. How you prepare the land, the waters, the tables, how you walk with us through difficult times, how you free us from fear, annoyances, and enemies. God, let us always remember how you delight in our contentment in you. In Jesus' name, amen.